0: core presentation of a WMNF Tuesday Cafe that we brought you on August 23rd. Please enjoy the show and we will not be taking calls today. We'll be back with a new live show next Tuesday. WMNF, 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Conan here on Primary Election Day in Florida. Well, we have two topics today. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by a law professor from Stetson University College of Law to talk about the lawsuit filed by suspended Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So we'll get the legal breakdown about that later on in the show. So I hope you stay tuned to hear about that. First up, right now, we're going to look at Florida's proposed expansion of toll highways. Three years ago, it looked like the state would build three new toll highways through rural parts of Florida. But after backlash from residents, the proposal was trimmed to just focus on one, an extension of the Florida Turnpike to the north. But residents of Citrus, Levy, Marion, and Sumter counties and their local governments have fought back against the proposed Northern Turnpike extension. The alliance called No Roads to Ruin Coalition seems to have won, at least for now. This month, the Florida Department of Transportation announced a pause for the project because it had not been able to identify any viable corridor for the toll highway. Joining us now by Zoom is Michael McGrath with the Sierra Club. He's part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. Welcome to wm Tuesday Cafe, Michael. Well, pleasure
1: to be here today, Sean. Thank you much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So let's begin by turning the clock back to 2019. The, that year, the Florida legislature passed what's called MCORs. So maybe you can explain to our listeners what that is. And what was the reason given for needing three new toll highways through rural Florida?
1: sure so folks aren't familiar with this program um back in 2019 the legislature proposed a proposal that would have been one of florida's largest infrastructure projects in the state's history Um, it's called the multi-use corridors of regional and also economic significance or m course for short would have created over 330 miles of new toll roads spanning going over um, florida's most rural and also wild areas of the state basically spanning from the florida georgia border all the way down to um, the Western Everglades, Glades um, from Polk County down to uh, Collier County in the Naples area. And this would have been something that would have been absolutely devastating for the state of Florida. It would have um, really been something that would have been a nail in the coffin for the Florida panther going right through its primary um, habitat within Southwest Florida. Um, something that would have been devastating to the heartland of the springs through um, the nature coast of Florida um, within the greater Big Bend region down to uh, you know places like Crystal River where manatees have um, uh, winter refuge locations for you know, sanctuaries for themselves. And really it was something that was not desired by um, the residents within within the state. It was a horribly um, proposed idea, never went through FdoT's uh, vetting process as far as having any sort of demonstration need. and proponents were claiming that this was needed to deploy utilities such as broadband and also for um, trying to create a central sewer um, which is a very specious argument because we know we can we can achieve those sorts of goals independently of new toll roads. Um, So there's really something that was really a ploy to develop on these um, Florida's remaining rural and wild lands instead.
0: I wanna remind people that we're speaking with Michael McGrath, he's the Sierra, with the Sierra Club and he's part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. There was a lot of public outcry in 2019 and since then about the MCOR's, um projects, the proposed toll highways. And after a lot of the public outcry, the scope of this project seemed to shrink. There was no longer that Polk County to Collier County proposal, for example. The focus turned to mainly finding a route northwest from the northern end of the Florida Turnpike there, Near, kind of near the villages and Ocala. So what, what are the communities like? Can you describe the, the communities in that area, Citrus, Levy, Marion, and Sumter, that would have been impacted by this northern extension?
1: Yeah, sure thing. One second, John, my dog's being crazy at the moment. I just apologize for me. i <laughs> second. Sure
0: thing, yeah. So, again, I want to remind people that we're talking about the proposed toll highways through Florida, rural parts of Florida. And we're speaking with Michael McGrath with the Sierra Club, part of the No Rose to Ruin Coalition. And he's joining us by Zoom. And I'm asking him what the Citrus, Levy, Marion, and Sumter communities are like where that proposed northern extension of the Florida Turnpike would have gone through.
1: Sorry about that, Sean. We had a, a furry inconvenience there for a moment, but everything is settled now. Um, but yeah, so you know, these are some these are communities that are larger rural. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of folks who are in the pathway who, you know, had invested a lot of their life savings um, into you know being be able to have a home there um, and also you know had historic family farms that have been in the area forever. Um, you know, Levy County, if you've ever been through that part of Florida, is a lot of peanut farms and also watermelon farms, right? And there are multiple farmers who would have had Their land literally bisected by this proposal. Um, You know, over in Sumter County, there is a community called Royal, which is a sort of black community, which is settled by formerly enslaved individuals and has remained really a tight knit and also loving community um, since then as well. And all four of the proposals would have gone right through. The community of Royal, um, you know, there's nothing that's a more blatant example of environmental racism than this of trying to ram a a new highway through, um, you know, a black community. Unfortunately, America, we've seen scars of this within our country's history, time and time again. We can look; we all we have to do is look here in Florida with the way that I-95 was done with, in places like Jacksonville and also Miami, or also I-4 was done with Orlando or 275 over in St. Pete. We can see examples of, you know, these these highways being rammed through black communities within our state. And it's something that you know, we have enduring legacies with that have created, um, you know, things around around um, segregation and also um, environmental injustice. And this has been the latest example of that as well. So this is something that was, you know, a, a bad proposal for, you know, um, not only um, communities of color, but also, you know, rural communities within within Florida. And something that you know, residents really did not want to have impact their quality of life. Ultimately, this was a quality of life issue at the very end of the day. And the people did not want a new highway coming through the communities at all because it is it is rural Florida. It's the nature coast. If anyone's ever been to that part of Florida, they recognize that it's one of the parts of Florida that has not been overcome with sprawl and also traffic congestion. And people want to keep it that way.
0: And I want to get input from our listeners as well. If you'd like to email us at dj at wmnf.org or text 813 885 and tell us what your thoughts are about these proposed toll roads, especially this toll highway, the extension to the Turnpike that was proposed through Citrus, Levy, Marion and Sumter counties. Have you been up there? Have you uh, uh, been through that area? And what would you think about a toll highway there? Maybe you think it would make it easier for you to get to these communities, or maybe you uh, agree with our guests that, that the road wasn't necessary. Give us a Shoot us a text, 813-433-0885 or email dj at wmnf.org. My guest is Michael McGrath with the Sierra Club which is part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. So maybe now is a good time for you to tell us what is that coalition and what was the goal?
1: Sure. Um, so the coalition was, was started, and as, you, as you indicated, um, back when M4 was proposed back in 2019. Um, to date, we are a coalition of uh, more than 115 partners of different statewide organizations and local organizations and businesses um, that are committed to the no-build option for each of the proposed MCORES um toll roads um obviously when when M was technically repealed during the 2021 20, um, legislative session and was replaced with um the northern turnpike extension our our mission as a coalition um, shifted to focusing on that priority instead and um since then we we've, we've been relentless in our organizing activities um working in tandem with um, local residents and also local governments to make sure that we can uh, reject this proposal and, and stop the, um, the the creation of a new toll road through um, through Florida's rural areas. So um, really, it's just it's a coalition that has been so successful because we refuse to um, compromise and we we don't mince our words. We've always been um, very clear that we want the no build option, um, the no the no action taken option for um, any new toll ro- proposal within Florida um, when it comes to this this M course. Um, project. And, um, we were very successful in being able to, to make our opposition very clear with the state over the last, um, nine months, especially, um, as you know, once, once those FDOT kickoff meetings have occurred with the Northern Turnpike Extension, um, in, in Citrus, Mary, Levy and Sumter counties.
0: And I think our listeners are familiar with when big groups, like forgive me for saying it, but like the Sierra Club is a big group, where big groups come in and they um, they push their message. Um, but this actually turned out to be really a grassroots effort. Tell us about the resolutions, the no build resolutions that happened in a, a range of small towns and counties in that area.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, the moment that um, you know FDOT held these kickoff events in December. Right. And then literally the next week is being put on the agenda for local governments in places like Donell and over in Marion County where Rainbow River is located in Levy County, right? Um, you know, one of, one of, one of Florida's, um, primary, um, farm, farmland communities and, you know, um, also the Marion Board of County Commissioners as well. And immediately residents were asking their city council members to take some sort of clear action against the proposal, send a clear message to the state. And we started seeing local governments lining up to pass, um, these various no bill resolutions that were sent to the governor's office as well as the Department of Transportation, saying that we don't want this coming through our communities. We we like like we like it the way it is here in in Dunedin and also in Levy County. And we saw in total, you know, um, more than more than um, nine or eight uh, local governments passed no bill resolutions. Right? We saw both the Levy Board of County Commissioners as well as Citrus Board of County Commissioners um, saying that they don't want this proposal coming through their communities at all. Um, and that was that was a that was a big impact for why we're able to get um, DOT to say that there are no viable corridors because they did not have the support of local governments to be partners in this project. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I think it's I think it's a testament to um, local residents organizing and getting the word out in their own communities, coming to their city council and also county commission meetings, and also making it, making it very clear that they wanted them to nix this proposal and not and keep things the way they are in their communities and focus on existing infrastructure as opposed to creating new um, limited access highways instead.
0: And before we go on to talk about that Florida Department of Transportation announcement that happened this month, let me just list some of the town councils or in-city councils that passed no-build resolutions. And maybe as I'm reading these, you can think if you've if you've ever been to these counties, if these towns you know these are not um maybe the typical nimby uh high um uh, environmental havens these are just regular towns in rural florida dare i say they're probably they probably vote red um uh, for whatever that's worth. But here are some of the places that have that passed no build resolutions against these um toll highways. The Donellan City Council, the Inverness City Council, the English English, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. The Inglis, English, yep, English yep. uh Town Commission, Yankee Town Council, and Bronson Town Council. So all of them passed no build resolutions, which finally, as you mentioned just a second ago, led up this month to the Florida Department of Transportation. Saying that there was no viable corridor for the northern turnpike extension they had been looking at four different routes and they said that, that none of them were viable which I'm sure your group felt was a victory
1: absolutely yeah and obviously you know we're gonna remain um, very um, involved and also um, be very uh um, aware of any updates that happened from the department of transportation but um you know it's very it's a very good victory for right now to see that there is no viable corridors with that proposal for creating um, you know, these these toll roads through rural Florida, for for the listeners who aren't familiar, there were four different routes that are being considered. Um, and each of those would have impacted, you know, the communities that you just listed on that passed these various no-bill resolutions. Um and the fact that we were that people were, were saying that we don't want this in anyone's backyard, right? We we collectively want to say that we don't want this going through any community. It was a very powerful testament of solidarity across the entire region, and we're just very proud that all the residents were able to come together and really do some historic organizing in their communities, and also really get out the word. We have people knocking on each other's doors, um, you know, bringing flyers, telling people to come to this county commission meeting or city council meeting, and to you know hold their their own no build sign and put on you know um, stickers saying. Rural Florida says no toll roads, and it was really a testament to people power then the day, right? I mean, I think that's something that's an encouraging story that we can all think about um, in the future: is how re- neighbors and um, residents across uh, various, um, you know, political spectrums and also um, different backgrounds can come together around a common cause and you know try to uh, make sure that we 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 protect the things that are so important to all of us.
0: Our guest is Michael McGrath with the Sierra Club and part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. We're talking about proposed toll highways through rural parts of Florida that seem to be on the shelf right now. They've they've uh, they're not looking at it right now. Maybe it'll come up in the future. We'll talk more about that in, in a little bit. I just want to remind people that you're listening to WMNF Tampa. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. It's 1020 in the morning. Just a reminder that this is a pre-recorded show and we are not taking calls today. We'll be back with a live show next Tuesday. You know, earlier in the show, Michael, you mentioned that one of the things when this was first proposed, one of the selling points was that the rural communities would get access to broadband. So now that these highways are off the table, what about broadband access for rural communities?
1: Yeah, I think that's something that um, the legislature actually during the 2021 legislative session was actually looking at various broadband bills actually to um, pursue um, aerial overlash broadband um, within the community so that it could be deployed um, independently of, you know, a, a new toll road. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to continue to see, you know, happen independently, right, um, of, of this proposal. I think when we think about, you know, anytime we would create a budget, a budget, set your priorities for what you actually want to happen within your own communities and investing in, you know, a new highway, a new toll road is not the way we need to budget our priorities as a state, right? Um, we all know that to compete in today's global market, which is increasingly um, digitalized, <clears throat> which has com- increasingly more remote work opportunities, um, we need to be able to have, you know, access to um, that important utility that, that is high-speed internet, which is broadband, Right. Um, and it's important that you know, if we're going to actually set our budget for how we use taxpayer dollars to deploy, um, you know, things such as such as broadband, we need to be able to pursue that through through more innovative means than just trying to uh, combine it with a package that was was going to be something that's only good for for developers um, to pave over the last remaining parts of our rural Florida. Um, we we can we can we can achieve you know deploying broadband. Um, with, within the state of Florida, um, independently of of creating new highways.
0: One of our uh, listeners is writing, David writes, this push for building toll highways in pristine areas of the state sounds like something from a Carl Hiaston novel. And like his novels, I'm sure there are some greedy developers behind it. These developers don't like the nature coast. They want to change it to the unnatural coast. That's David's opinion out there in cyberspace. Um, should I read the next one or do you want to comment on that, Michael?
1: No, I, I think I think David's comments absolutely um, correct. I mean, there has been. We knew that when we when we looked at you know um, so for, folks who follow this issue for a while know that you know the former Senate President um, Bill Galvano of Bradenton, um, <clears throat> you know was a really one who was pushing this, and when we looked at you know his campaign finance contributions, they came overwhelmingly from developers and people who are of the, you know the um, asphalt industry and also road building association. So you know money talks. When you follow you follow the money, you can see you know, who, who the developers are who are pushing this proposal um, rather than looking at any sort of actual need for the state.
0: Just a reminder that this is a pre-recorded show and we are not taking calls today. We'll be back with a live show next Tuesday. Bubba writes in and he says, what does your guest think about the newest Suncoast Parkway extension that opened this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's a proposal that unfortunately, um, you know, did go through, um, you know, that was something that Sierra Club was opposed to when it was when it was being considered, um, you know, really for the last twenty years or so. Um, and it's unfortunate that it happened because it really did bisect some really pristine lands within with Acushie Fort and with Forests, as well as you know various spring sheds in, in the region. And we've seen what's happened with Suncoast Parkway after the fact. We've seen sprawl develop within Hernando and Pasco counties. We've seen you know and also Citrus County as well. And we've seen also that there really hasn't been as much usage as you would expect it, right? The revenues from that proposal are not as much as they were projected. So again, it's a question of is there really a need for these new new highways coming through um, these new toll roads coming through the state? I mean, Florida already has more miles of toll roads than any other state in the entire United States.
0: Another question comes in from Bob from Largo, and he says, "I don't care about specifics. No more highway growth in Florida." And he says he donates annually to the Florida Conservation Voters. So, thanks for that uh, email, Bob. Any thoughts yeah, about that? Yeah. yeah, in general, just uh, so so many highways, especially toll highways, through Florida. Definitely. Yeah, and
1: Bob, also, um, Florida Conservation Voters is a great coalition partner within our, within our coalition as well. They've been, you know, a, a, someone who's worked, uh, organization has worked with us in, in tandem on this hand in glove since the very onset.
0: I want to remind people that you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. Coming up in about uh, seven or eight minutes, we're going to switch gears and talk to a law professor from Stetson University College of Law. And we'll be talking about that suspended Tampa State Attorney Andrew Warren filing a lawsuit that challenges Governor Ron DeSantis' action to suspend him. We'll hear about the, the legal ramifications of that. So I hope you stay tuned. Right now, we're talking about proposed toll highways that seem to be on pause for right now. And our guest again is Michael McGrath with the Sierra Club, part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. What might be, me, let me start that question over. The future for FDOT, they said this month that they're going to pause, that they're, they're not thinking about that road, that extension right now. But what might happen in the future? What are FDOT's options for that area?
1: Sure. So um, the Department of Transportation released an announcement saying that they are you know going to pause this project because there are no viable corridors for the Northern Turnpike extension at this current moment. And again, there were four different proposals on the table, four different routes that were going through um, Marion, Levy, Citrus, and all Sumter counties. And they said that instead of looking at those four proposals, instead we're actually going to look at improving the I-75 corridor.
0: <clears throat>
1: and really, this is something that residents were clamoring for, right? Anyone who who lives in that region, who drives to that region, who commutes in that region knows that overwhelmingly the traffic issues are on I-75, um, you know, especially from Wildwood to Ocala, and from Ocala to Gainesville, um, and you know that's a, that's a corridor that DOT is looking at improving. Um, we're not sure what exactly they'll be looking at as far as improvements to that corridor. It could be a surface lane expansion, you know, adding one lane on both sides of 75. It could be making trucking only auxiliary lanes. Um, we don't know exactly yet, but we do know that they're they're going to coordinate with the local um, FDOT districts to look at improving that I-75 corridor. And that seems to be a better um, option at this point in time, as opposed to creating um, a new highway that would go through rural lands, vulnerable spring sheds, um, aquifer recharge zones, um, you know, store communities. And that's something that residents wanted. And we're asking the department of transportation to look at instead.
0: We have a question that comes in from a listener who's asking, could the real reason that Florida legislatures push for that new toll road is because it would help them uh, get to Tallahassee? And he suggests that maybe they're being selfish by paving their own road from their home, direct, from their home district to Tallahassee. And he says that they're not public servants, they're self-servants. Any thoughts?
1: Well, you know, I'll just say this that um, I think that people really, I mean, most, a lot of legislators, you know, will, will be taking I 75 to get to Tallahassee, or frankly, will be flying as well, <laughs> especially if you're, if you're further south in Florida. So, um, and the, the legislators already have, you know, the Suncoast Parkway as well <laughs> You get know, along US 19. And trust me, once you're on US 19 in Levy County, going northward towards, you know, um, Tallahassee, it is open roads. There is no traffic on U.S. 1998 that entire way. Trust me.
2: (laughs)
0: Now that the local activists have kind of achieved what they might see as a victory against the FDOT and there's not going to be a toll road being built right away, what are their their plans? Are they continuing to stay vigilant? Are uh, are they switching gears to other types of activism? What have you been talking to in the residents up there in that four-county area?
1: Yeah, so um last week we had a press conference over in Ocala. We were joined by um over fifty local residents and also voters within the four county area. And they sent they sent a very clear message to um politicians across the entire state, whether it be from the city councils or you know, members of the Florida legislature, that they want representatives who are going to support them in their initiative to keep rural Florida rural. Um, so, you know, those, those county commissions that didn't support the no build option, right? Such as Marion County and also Sumter County, they're on, they're on the hot seat, right? Um, from voters in those areas. And we already have, you know, residents within each of those communities who are passing out flyers. I'm saying strong different candidates who have signed, um, a, a pledge saying they're for the no build option and p- comparing that to who are the current incumbents, right? Um, such as, excuse me, Sumter County, for example, has, Four county commission seats up this 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 election, right? And um, residents are going to be very. Today's a primary day, obviously, right? Um, which is going to determine who's probably on the on the on the general ballot um, in November. Uh, and residents are being very clear that they want people who support them in their efforts to keep this um, out of their backyard permanently, right? And also who want to protect um, the farmlands, the rural quality of life, the historic aspects of their of their county, as opposed to just making it cookie cutter sprawl.
0: Well, as we wrap up this segment, Michael, why don't you tell people where they can go to find out more information about this topic?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we have a website that has a treasure trove of information you can just go to noroadstoruin.org in order to learn all about you want about, you know, this entire um, toller proposal. Um, and, you know, you can always subscribe to our, our newsletters that we send out um, roughly once every week. to um, can keep people abreast about this issue by just going to the contact us page on, on noroadstoruin.org. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Sean, for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on to WMNS Tuesday Cafe, Michael. Michael McGrath is with Sierra Club and part of the No Roads to Ruin Coalition. And if you missed any of this interview, you can watch or listen again beginning this afternoon on WMNF.org. We'll be back in just a minute with our next guest, a Stetson law professor. will talk about the latest in the case of suspended Hillsborough State Attorney Andrew Warren and his lawsuit against Florida's governor. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. I need to down, we
3: down, only just got up. I feel so uninspired. I feel like giving up. I feel like someone has punched me in the guts. I kinda
0: like it, cause it feels like being recording in progress. by Wet Leg. Welcome back to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Cannan. Last week, suspended Tampa State Attorney Andrew Warren filed a federal suit that challenges Governor Ron DeSantis' action to suspend him. The challenge is on First Amendment grounds. Warren says the governor used the powers of his office to suppress criticism and promote cronyism. Joining us now by Zoom to talk about his case is Paul Boudreau, professor of law at Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport. Thanks so much for joining us on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Professor Boudreaux Glad to be here. Hey, I'm really glad you can make it because I I know our our listeners are interested in this uh, story. It's a very interesting political and legal story. So I'm really glad you can join us. So Warren writes in his brief that he was file he files this complaint for injunctive and declar- declaratory relief against defendant Ron DeSantis individually and in his official capacity as the governor of Florida. So what does that
2: all mean? Just can you translate that
0: from legalese to English, please?
2: sure that he's saying that he was fired and that it was unlawful for the governor to do that. And so he wants a court to order that the governor did not have the power to do that and that he get his job back, including um, the pay that he is no longer receiving because he's been suspended. So uh,
0: the Former or the elected state attorney in Hillsborough County says that he has protected First Amendment speech. And that's what he, one of the grounds that he's suing under. And he also says that the governor's removal power applies only in extraordinary circumstances. What does that mean? And in your legal opinion, might this raise, rise to that level?
2: First, that the, the First Amendment gives everyone in America the right to free speech. To say their viewpoints, um, particularly with concerning um, political issues, um, and you do not lose those free speech rights simply because you're an important government official, such as such as a state attorney or a governor. Um, DeSantis argued in his suspension order that it's because of his conduct, what Andrew Warren is doing or says that he plans to do. And you're not protecting the First Amendment for what you do if it violates the law or or does something that um, that harms a certain interest. That is different from speech. And that's going to be one thing the court is going to have to decide is whether he was fired simply for what he said or what he has done or as DeSantis puts, what he has planned to do.
0: What does the timeline look like in in cases like this? Um, will a court see you know go hear this very quickly? Will it be decided quickly? What do you know about that?
2: Yes, often um, law, law cases take off in a very long time, many months to decide. But what Andrew Warren, the um, former state's attorney for Hillsborough County, filed a motion for. Preliminary injunction, which means ask the court to decide quickly on a short term basis, do I get my job back? The judge could always change the judge's mind and the judge has scheduled a um, argument on this. For September 19th or 20th. And that is typical with a preliminary injunction motion to be decided within one month. And we often find what the judge is thinking in the decision on this. So I would not be surprised if we have a decision in about a month.
0: I want to remind people that you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Our guest is Paul Boudreau, who's professor of law at Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport. We're talking about the lawsuit by the elected state attorney in Hillsborough against Governor Ron DeSantis. And so uh, there might be a decision in about a month, you said, but that's would that be a preliminary decision that would be under review again?
2: Yes, it's a preliminary decision. Then the same judge and the same court would continue to decide the case on a final judgment. But in a case like this, which is mostly a question of law, meaning we don't need witnesses and things like that, although we might, but probably it's simply a question of, of law, we would, might definitely get a sense of what the judge is thinking by this preliminary motion. And so if Warren wins or if Warren loses, this might be a strong indication of the final judgment.
0: Do we know anything about the political leanings of that court?
2: Um, I actually do not know know that because, I mean, the case was just filed on Friday. Um, I have not. But the fact that the judge is willing to schedule this on such a short time frame definitely shows that the judge is taking um, this seriously. And then what happens
0: after that? I assume that either party that loses could could take that to a higher court. What would the next higher court be?
2: Right, then it would bring because this case was filed in federal court, the United States District Court for the Northern District of Florida in Tallahassee. Um, from that court, the appeal would be to the United States Court of Appeals for the for the Eleventh Circuit. Is that in Atlanta? Yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I want to remind people that this is Paul Boudreaux, a professor of law at Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport. We're talking about the lawsuit by the elected state attorney in Hillsborough County, who is Andrew Warren. He's suing Governor Ron DeSantis to get his job back. Essentially, he was suspended by the governor. And the Florida Constitution says the governor may suspend from office any state officer not subject to impeachment for malfeasance, misfeasance, neglect of duty, drunkenness, incompetence, Permanent inability to perform official duties or commission of a felony now I think we can rule some of those out. no one's accusing Andrew Warren of a felony or of uh, drunkenness. drunkenness yeah, so what about the others how in your opinion how does how does what the governor is charging stand up against malfeasance, misfeasance, permanent inability to perform official duties, etc
2: I think that what DeSantis is likely to argue we can understand. What um, he is thinking from his executive order, which I think was on August 4th, that the phrase neglect of duty is probably what he's going to rely on. And his argument is that by various um, statements that Andrew Warren made, that Andrew Warren has said that my office is not going to prosecute cases um, concerning abortion crimes and other um petty criminal offenses concerning people that are stopped from turning the wrong way on their bicycle or or, or a jaywalking, and that we would also not prosecute some um, gender Offenses that if the Florida legislature were to make it a crime, let's say for people to um, to change their um, their natural born gender, some people referring to this as gender affirmation, that his office would not prosecute these. And DeSantis argues it's a crime. If you say you're not going to enforce them, that is a neglect of duty.
0: And I hate to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making light of this, but this is. Is really so absurd uh, uh, and, and and convoluted that I'm going to I'm going to try to put this in a in a straight way, but it really sounds absurd. The governor is in part, suspending the state attorney for saying that he won't prosecute people who commit a, uh, violations of a law that hasn't even been ri- been passed yet. Uh, am I describing that correctly? And am I doing it in a way that's not intentionally making it sound more absurd than it is?
2: Um, yeah, I think that's accurate, at least in part. There are some laws in the books. There is an anti-abortion law in the books, which is working its way um, through the court. We do have these you know, petty um, bicycle and pedestrian offenses on the books. Um, and certainly Andrew Warren has said in his documents that it's certainly too early to say that I've neglected my duty for things that have not happened yet. But one can look at it the other way and say, well, when 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 would it be too late?" And certainly, um, DeSantis has pointed out the instance of this Florida sheriff who said, "If Florida passed um, gun laws, I just would not enforce them." And I think a lot of progressives were naturally concerned that, a sheriff said, he would not enforce a criminal law. And so this is kind of the flip side of that.
0: Just a reminder that this is a pre-recorded show and we are not taking calls today. We'll be back with a live show next Tuesday. Our guest is Paul Boudreau, professor of law at Stetson University College of Law. And we're talking about the suit that was filed by Andrew Warren, in Hillsborough, uh, uh, the Hillsborough County elected state attorney, in federal court against Governor Ron DeSantis for suspending Andrew Warren. This is what it says in the law. This is one of the things it says in the suit. Andrew Warren is contending that the Constitution of the State of Florida means what the court says it means, not whatever DeSantis needs it to mean to silence his critics, promote his loyalists, and subvert the will of the voters. Is that statement? Does that sound like a fair statement in in the suit? How will it make Maybe perhaps how will it a judge view that statement? Will that sway a judge?
2: Um, I think possibly, yes. It is certainly, I think, very concerning, no matter your political perspective, that we give the governor the ability to suspend elected officials. This is not some, you know, clerk. Um because the governor does not like the political viewpoints there's a lot of discussion of course even nationwide that our system of democracy which depends on some level of respect for other people's viewpoints and one of those is we don't just expect the governor to use whatever power is available to him or her to fire people that they don't like that is absolutely true Um, On the other hand, we have a case from 2017 when Governor Rick Scott suspended someone and the Florida Supreme Court upheld it by saying that a prosecutor shouldn't have the right to have essentially a functional veto of a criminal law if the prosecutor simply doesn't doesn't like it. And the the Florida Supreme Court, which of course, majority of whom were um, appointed by Republican governors, has at least upheld the governor's general authority to do a suspension, roughly similar to this grant. And and so if I, I think Warren faces an uphill battle.
0: And if I if I follow you, that the, there might be a coincidence about that in the sense that the person that we're talking about, I believe, is on the ballot today. Are we talking about uh, the Orange and, and Osceola County State Attorney Ar- Aramis Ayala?
2: Yes, that is correct.
0: Who is running in the Democratic primary for attorney general uh, on today's ballots. Um, so let me read this email that came in from a listener. He says, the Warren DeSantis controversy reminds me of minority report, but flipped because the prosecutor is being presumed guilty of not following laws that don't exist yet. What a topsy-turvy world. Uh, and then then this person um, says to vote the um, the governor out of office. But ignoring that last part for a second, what do you think about um, c- comparing what's happening here to the minority report?
2: Yeah, it's, 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 it's been a while since I've seen that. But it's certainly it's very problematic that we have a society where a an executive can fire someone. Assuming it was a five, essentially for political differences. It might have been better in the Florida um, Constitution if someone were subject to impeachment, where we would have a process with hearings and of airing of viewpoints on both sides. Uh, for whatever reason, the Florida Constitution gives the governor this power to do so for the state attorney. And, it, you know, it's pretty, it seems from the statements about Incompetence and drunkenness, et cetera, that it was largely designed for someone who simply cannot or is incapable or is not doing their job. Um, And then there's a question of who gets to decide whether a prosecutor is doing um, their job. DeSantis says a prosecutor that won't enforce, that says they won't enforce abortion laws or um, gender affirming change laws is not doing his job and so that's a neglect neglect of duty um, and the question is does the is the governor have the complete discretion to make that decision the Florida Supreme Court seemed to suggest the governor had a lot of discretion it's possible that this different court which is a federal court so it's not um, simply based in, based on in in a Florida might think that a court has the ability to review the governor's decision and to be a little bit more skeptical of the governor saying this was neglect of duty and seeing it as a violation of free speech rights, which, of course, is something that Warren, the uh, suspended state's attorney, is arguing.
0: Our guest is Paul Boudreau, professor of law at Stetson University College of Law. This is the conversation is about the lawsuit that the elected state attorney in Hillsborough County has filed against Governor Ron DeSantis to try to get his job back after he was suspended and this is WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan, and you're listening to the Tuesday Cafe. So far, Professor Brudeau, we've been using our words to describe what the governor was saying about why he suspended Andrew Warren. So let's, people may have heard this clip before, but let's just listen to a minute and a half or so of the governor talking about why he did suspend uh, Andrew Warren uh, earlier this month. Here's Governor Ron DeSantis.
4: The Constitution of Florida has vested the veto power in the governor. Not an individual state attorney's. And so when you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty, uh, you have neglected your duty, and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to perform those duties. And so today we are suspending state attorney Andrew Warren, effective immediately.
0: And there was a, a round of applause because the governor was surrounded by law enforcement officers from Hillsborough County, Polk County, Pasco County. Um, there was it, it was you know had the air of a political event perhaps. Um, and here's more of what the governor said. This is spe- he, he lays out more of the specifics in in this clip right here.
4: Uh, the prosecutor, state attorney for this judicial circuit, uh, Andrew Warren, has put himself publicly above the law. In June of 2021, he signed a letter saying that he would not enforce any prohibitions on sex change operations for minors. And that's a debate that we're having mostly administratively and through medical licensing in Florida. But other states have enacted penalties on the people that would perform those, which are really disfiguring these young kids. And he said, it doesn't matter what the legislature does in the state of Florida. Uh, He's going to exercise a veto over that. He's also instituted policy of quote presumptive non enforcement and this involves an array of different things and you'll probably hear Sheriff Cronister and some of the other law enforcement officers talk about it uh, but that is not consistent with the role of a prosecutor yes you can exercise discretion in an individual case but that discretion has to be individualized in case specific you can't just say you're not going to do uh, certain offenses And then most recently, after the Dobbs decision was rendered by the U.S. Supreme Court, he signed a letter saying he would not enforce any laws relating to protecting the right to life in the state of Florida.
0: Well, that was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis speaking earlier this month when he announced in Hillsborough County that he was suspending Andrew Warren, who is the elected state attorney in the county. And uh, he has since replaced he, that during that press conference, the governor announced his replacement. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But right now, I want to bring back our guest, Paul Boudreau, who is professor of law at Stetson University College of Law. Uh, any thoughts now that we've heard the, those sound bites from DeSantis, from Governor DeSantis? Is there anything that, that you can add to the discussion? that we've already had so far.
2: Yes, it's, I mean, it's a sort of symptomatic of our society today that so many politicians and in indeed, instead of just doing um, legal actions, they also make sort of a political circus out of it. And we certainly have seen that. I think in, in some other point, um, I, I think DeSantis had said that um, he's basically woke. And certainly the First Amendment means that you can't fire someone because of a general um, assessment that someone is woke, meaning their their general uh, political viewpoints. sense, I think, might have gotten himself in a bit of trouble in that he pointed out accurately that Warren says for certain kinds of minor offenses, I'm going to have presumptive non-enforcement, which means that generally we're going to decide not to enforce small violations. But what presumptive means is that we can always change our mind if a offense seems to be big enough. And then DeSantis went on and said it has to be case specific. That's exactly what presumptive non enforcement means. Generally we don't do it except if in a particular case it's it is large enough. So I don't think DeSantis helped his argument there by sort of confusing the issue in that regard. Um, now, um, Andrew Warren, the suspended state's attorney, said, "Well, my comments on um, on on gender issues and on abortion issues were only general comments. I never said I would never enforce any laws. Um, that that involves sort of parsing through exactly what these statements were, which were often." National statements done, created by prosecutors who feel that sometimes prosecution goes so far. And as DeSantis had to acknowledge, prosecutors in the United States always have discretion. We don't enforce all laws all the time. Everyone that drives 56 miles an hour on I-275 doesn't automatically get a speeding ticket. Prosecution always has to be somewhat discretionary. And Warren's going to fit his statements in terms of we're going to use that discretion in a more sort of vigorous way than we have in the past. DeSantis is going to say, no, this is a neglect of duty because Warren says he's not going to enforce certain laws in general. Our
0: guest is Paul Boudreau, professor of law at Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport. We're talking about the lawsuit by the elected state attorney in Hillsborough against Governor Ron DeSantis. Just a reminder that this is a pre-recorded show and we are not taking calls today. We'll be back with a live show next Tuesday. We have uh, Mark who writes in. He says, I would like to know why the governor had absolutely nothing to say when various sheriffs throughout the state said they would not enforce a mask mandate. So maybe one way of putting this question is, is Andrew Warren the very first Floridian uh, official to
2: decide to selectively enforce things? I think the answer has to be no, because prosecutors, by their nature, um, decide in discretion. They decide small offenses are not going to be um, enforced, that someone you know takes a, um, a can of beer and, and opens up on the sidewalks out of a liquor store. Police always have the discretion. Prosecutors always have the discretion to tell someone don't do that. If I catch you again, there's always um, presumptive, um, there's always selective enforcement um, of certain kinds.
0: I want to play this clip from a guest of mine earlier this month. It's a short one-minute clip, but I, I do want to play it. It's from former state representative Sean Shaw, who is a Democrat. So this is the opposite party of the governor and the same party as Andrew Warren. So and he in fact, he said on his show that he was a, a friend and supporter of Andrew Warren. So I want to give you all that information before we play this, this clip. But I asked Sean Shaw, former state representative. He also, he was the nominee for attorney general four years ago. He spoke about his reaction to the news on this show about two or three weeks ago. So here's Sean Shaw.
5: I mean, I was shocked. And um, as someone who has been around politics a little while and has observed the governor, I didn't think I could still be shocked, but I was. I mean, that's, uh, I I know the governor engages in behavior that some of us would consider trolling. And I know he's very aggressive in certain things. And okay, I get it. But to remove the duly elected state attorney, in Hillsborough County, in a county that vote, uh, Andrew Warren got more votes than the governor in this county um, and he's been elected twice. And to really remove him because of things he said rather than things he did. uh, I mean, there's a very high standard to remove someone, first of all, under the Florida constitution there's a very high standard. It's incompetence, malfeasance, misfeasance, uh, drunkenness. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of words there, Um, but you don't remove someone that's been elected by the people unless there's very good reason. And this just doesn't meet that standard. So I was, I was shocked.
0: Well, that was the opinion of, of, uh, uh let's see. Sorry about this. Um, Sean Shaw, who was the attorney general nominee for the Democrats four years ago. He's also a former state representative. He said he's a friend and supporter of Andrew Warren. He was shocked that the governor did this. Um, and he gave you some of the reasons, some of which we've been talking about during this show. Um, and I want to remind people that our guest is Paul Boudreau, who's professor of law at Stetson University College of Law. So Professor Boudreau, anything there that, that uh, Sean Shaw said during uh, that clip that, that you feel is necessary to speak
2: on? I mean, I certainly agree that it's it's troubling that we as a system of government might give the governor the ability to essentially um, reverse an election by removing someone from their political viewpoints. I might disagree with, with Mr. Shaw about saying there's a high standard. The Florida Constitution doesn't necessarily state what standard it is. It says the governor has... The power to to um, um, suspend someone for neglect of duty, and the question is, do the courts have a role in deciding how do we review the governor's decision on neglect of duty? It probably is not purely within the governor's judgment. Probably, the courts have some role in reviewing it um, in this regard. And one thing that could hurt Desantis is Desantis's silence with regard. To sheriffs or people who said, "We will not enforce the mass mandates. We will not enforce gun laws." And DeSantis was quiet on that. His inconsistency in that regard, I think, might possibly um, bolster Warren's case. But it's is that a ground for saying the governor does not have the power to do so if the governor has been inconsistent in using this power in the past. And I think that's an undecided issue of law. And it will be very curious to see what the federal courts have to say about this.
0: Professor Bedro, let's go to the phones to take a, a caller. And Fran, if you'd like to call back, I, I know you were on hold for a while and we didn't get to you. But here's Steve in Tampa. Hi, Steve. Do you have a quick question for Professor Bedro for us?
3: Hi. Very quickly, Professor Boudreau, You know, without getting into, I'd just like to get a sense of your legal sense. If, for Example, a had said, I'm not going going to enforce the laws with respect to bank robberies or armed robberies. Um, you know, I can see a court saying, well, that's, that's crazy because, you know, and maybe it was based on a letter that somebody wrote or a political opinion piece with respect to income redistribution. I'm posing an outlandish hypothetical because I think the arguments and support what DeSantis has done, which in my view is completely consistent with his future political plans. The argument is going to be, this is about life. And so therefore a violation of this law is tantamount to murder. And of course, the highest ranking state official would remove someone who would not. So you see, that's how I see the arguments running. And I'd like your view on that.
0: Good question, Steve. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, and uh, thanks for your question. And I think that's certainly the way that DeSantis is going to argue, just as it would it would be sensible to suspend a prosecutor who said we're not going to um, enforce bank robbery laws. It's sensible to suspend someone who says we're not going to um, enforce abortion laws. It'll be interesting if the timing issue is important. If and If a court might say, well, he has the power to do so, but there's no specific instance in which Warren has not done it yet. And so it's too soon, or as lawyers would say, it's not ripe to decide for for the governor to do it yet. So thus he has to be reinstated. But then maybe the governor could suspend him, um, let's say, next year when there's a case that was presented to him and he decided not to prosecute. I think that's possible. The court could could do that.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe,
2: Professor Boudreau. Thanks for having me talk,
0: Sean. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Paul Boudreau is professor of law at Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport. And I want to thank John Dunn for engineering the show and the phones today. You've been listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. If you like the programming here on 88.5 FM, please consider making a donation. You can do that at WMNF.org or you can throw a tip jar donation at the WMNF app. In this time slot tomorrow at 10 on Wednesday, Shelley will host Midpoint. And coming up after NPR News headlines is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. I want to thank both of my guests, Professor Paul Boudreaux and Michael McGrath. <laughs>